We've been studying through the Gospel of Mark. It's the shortest of the four Gospels, and it's a very, very uh, 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 direct Gospel. In fact, preaching through a Gospel is challenging because you have to preach on the hard passages too. And today we've come to a very, very difficult passage of Scripture. And it's uh, in Mark chapter 9, verse 42 and following through the end of the chapter. And uh, the disciples have just been asked by Jesus, Who do you say that I am? And they said, You we believe you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, You're right. But he said, I, I want to tell you that I have not come to be the kind of Messiah that you've expected. I've come to die. And uh, I will go to Jerusalem. And there I'll be rejected and hated. And then I'll be crucified. I'm going to be killed. But he says, but I'm going to rise again on the third day. Isn't that amazing? And uh, we're going to do that later in the service, Brother John. We, uh, uh, Brother John thought we'd forgot to take the offering. And uh, but we're going to do that after the message today. But uh, uh, so, so Jesus, and the disciples said, well, well that, that's, that's amazing. I mean, we can't believe. I mean, we thought you had come to, to free us from Rome. And he said, no, I've come to free you from sin. <laughs> that's a lot better than being freed from Rome. And uh, so then the disciples began to argue among themselves. They began to talk about who is going to be the greatest, which one of us is the greatest, and Jesus gave them a lesson we looked at last week in genuine greatness. He said, if you really want to be great, then you learn to be a servant. You learn to give your life away to other people. And greatness in my kingdom is not measured by how much you can get. Greatness in my kingdom is measured by how much you can give. Greatness is not measured by how many servants you have, but it's by how many people you serve. And so Jesus said, if you want to be great, that's great. But he said, the way you be great is to learn how to give yourself away. Learn how to lay down your life and your rights and your pride and your ego and your selfishness. Lay that aside and just serve other people. I was saying to somebody this last week that uh, greatness or that, that uh, humility, rather, doesn't promote itself. Humility doesn't even protect itself. Humility doesn't defend itself. Humility just takes a towel and a basin and washes feet. And that's what Jesus did with his disciples. So after this, Jesus began to talk about some radical things. That's a tough passage of Scripture we're going to look at this morning. Some of it, quite frankly, I'm not sure I know how to interpret. I'm not sure I know what to say about some of it. But I'll say something, and if it's wrong, maybe y'all can correct me later, okay? But uh, it is radical to be a Christian. Did you know that? When Jesus calls us to be Christians, he's not calling us to a comfortable, easy life. He's not calling us to a socially acceptable life. He's not calling us just to join a church and, and be part of a good fellowship. That's part of it, but it's a lot more than that. He's not calling us to just enjoy ourselves and our salvation. That's part of it. But he says, he said earlier, if anyone will come after me, he's got to take up his cross, deny himself, follow me. That's radical. 
That's radical. Now, we don't know much about that in our country today. You can go to some parts of the world today. Did you know that in Iraq right now, there is a great revival taking place? Thousands of Iraqi people are coming to faith in Jesus. It is unbelievable. One of the great, in fact, there are more people being saved in Iraq right now than any other part of the world. Isn't that incredible? Here, this nation that has just been soaked in Islam for all these centuries, and now people are realizing that there is a Savior and that to know Christ, to know him, is to know life. And, uh, and when they come to Christ in these Muslim nations, they are actually being called to risk their life, their possessions, their family, everything they own, and that coming to Christ could actually mean suffering and dying because of their faith. And yet, in spite of that, thousands of them are believing day after day after day across that country. Well, that's radical, isn't it? And Jesus says, I'm calling you to something radical. So let's read this passage. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin... All right, stop right there for a second. Jesus says there are a lot of Christians. There are a lot of people out here. Some of them are weak. Some of them are like baby Christians. Some of them are young Christians. And there are other people who make fun of them because of their faith. And they say, oh, come on, deny your faith. Come on, why don't you just do like you used to do? The Apostle Peter tells us, said, you know, there are folks who are going to make fun of you because you don't live the way you used to live. I tell you what, when I got saved, my life changed radically. My mouth changed. My language changed. My thoughts changed. My desires changed. And I didn't talk like I used to talk. And I had friends of mine, quote, friends of mine, who couldn't understand. They said, well, why don't you do the things you used to do? Come on. Come on and go with us and do the things we used to do. And I said, no, I can't do that now. I've devoted my life to Jesus. And I, I can't do that anymore. And they would still try to persuade me. Well, come on, come on. I remember one night in particular, I was working and these boys came. They said, hey, we're going to go out to Mr. Hadley's watermelon patch. And we're going to steal some watermelons. I know, I know the course of worst sins in the world, that's probably not the worst sin in the world. He had lots of watermelons. But uh, I said, uh, I can't do that. They said, well, what do you mean you can't do it? You used to do it. You used to go with us and get watermelons. I said, I know, but I, I've devoted my life to Jesus. I can't do that anymore. They said, oh, come on, come on. They just kept trying to, and finally they got mad at me and said, oh, you think you're better than us, don't you? I said, no, no, I don't think I'm any better. I just don't want to do that anymore. So they went on off. A little while later, one of them came back, and he said, you know, I, I'm glad you didn't go with us because he said, I, I knew it was wrong what we were doing. And he said, because you were willing to say no, 
I'm willing to say no too. Now, I want to tell you, people are watching your life, folks. People are looking at you, and they want to know, you're being a Christian. Does that really make a difference in your life? Does that mean you're going to stop doing the things you used to do? You're going to start doing the right things instead of wrong things? But there are those who would try to lead you to sin. I tell you, one of the categories of people that I just detest the most are what I call spoilers. These, uh, now I'm thinking really of, of like high school or college age boys who try to seduce and take advantage of young girls who are trying to live a life of purity and cleanliness. And they count it as some kind of a badge of honor for them to defile a young girl. What do you think should happen to a person like that? Well, Jesus said, whoever causes one of these little ones to, who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. I'm telling you, it's a serious thing. It's a serious thing to discourage faith and to discourage obedience. And occasionally, now this is just... You kind of, you know, right away everybody's thinking, well, somebody's trying to get you to drink alcohol. Somebody's trying to get you to do this and do that. Well, that's bad too. But suppose, suppose in your heart somebody has really hurt you. They've really wronged you. And you say, you know, I'm going to forgive them. And somebody says, no, you don't need to forgive them. Well, you ought to be mad at them. You ought to hate them. You I tell you, that's trying to get you to sin too. So, he says, those that would lead someone to sin, that is, uh, it'd be better for them to be drowned. This is what I call radical love. I mean, we ought to love Jesus so much, and we ought to love one another so much, that instead of encouraging people to sin, we're encouraging people to obey. We want to encourage people to follow Christ. And when someone is struggling, when someone is struggling with temptation, we need somebody that will come alongside of them and walk with them. Now, I want to tell you, I, I go and visit a lot of recovery ministries. I go to AA sometimes. I go to, uh, uh, I have gone to AA sometimes. I've gone to uh, uh, one or two NA meetings. Uh, I've gone to uh, 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 Regen over here at Watermark Church. And I've gone to some Celebrate Recovery classes and things like that. And I tell you something I see. Among these people, let's say at an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, here are a group of people who come in. The very first thing they say when they introduce themselves is, I'm an alcoholic, and I need help. And I believe that alcohol is destroying my life. And immediately everybody in that group says, welcome. We're with you. We stand with you. We want to help you. And if one of them stumbles and falls somewhere along the way, they don't kick him out. They rush to help him and say, Let, I want to help you up. I know you failed, but you know, I might fail next time, and I want somebody to come and pick me up too. And did you know Jesus said that's the way the church is supposed to be? Did you know the church is not a show place for saints. 
It's a hospital for sinners. It's not a place for us to show off how strong we are. It's a place for us to declare how weak we are without Christ and without the help of others. And we need each other. I tell you, there have been times along the, the, the years of my life when I would face major challenges, major struggles, major temptations in my life, and if it had not been for other Christians who would follow, obey that passage in Hebrews where it says to lift up the hands that are hanging down and strengthen the feeble knees that are about to collapse, there are times that I might have collapsed. And I praise God for, for a church family that looks about and says, hey, we're not here to judge one another. We're here to help one another. We're not here to show off how strong we are. We're here to declare how weak we are and how much we need one another. And so this is radical love. And then there's radical purity. He says if your hand, here's some tough stuff right here. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. Now, read the next verse. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And then the next verse. And if your eye causes you to sin, rip it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. That's pretty tough, isn't it? Yeah, I got to admit, that's what's he saying here. I mean, I don't think he's saying we ought to have a church full of folks with just one eye and one foot and one, and one hand. I don't think we ought to have a big axe out here in the front saying, okay, uh, come to the altar, chop, chop, you know. No. But what he's saying is that in our life, if there are things we're doing, that's our hands, if there are actions that we're involved in that leading us to sin, we need to leave those things alone. We need to cut it out of our life. And our foot, that represents the walk, the way we walk in life. And if there's some way we're walking, some place we're walking, or somebody we're walking with that is leading us into sin, then we're better off to cut that person out of our life than to continue and end up in destruction. I have a friend of mine who had a friend who was one of these spoilers, and he was constantly trying to urge this friend of mine to drink and to go places he shouldn't go and do things he shouldn't do. And... He would say, well, no, I know I shouldn't, but the guy, oh, come on, come on, come on. And he finally began to go along with him, go along with him, go along with him. And he ended up with misery and destruction as a result of it. And I'm telling you, I feel that the, the man who was encouraging him to sin is under severe judgment. But here's the lesson for that friend of mine. He should have said, hey, I've got a foot that is causing me to sin. I need to cut it off and get rid of it. And then our eye speaks of those things that we see and observe and watch. 
And, uh, well, I could preach a whole sermon just on this right here. But I tell you, there is so much in the visual range out here in our world that is unhealthy, wicked, sinful. And if there are things you watch on television that stirs you up to sin, if there are things that you look at on the Internet that stirs you up to sin, that stirs up lust and so forth in your heart, or if there are things you watch on movies that stir up anger and resentment in your heart, you're better off to cut that out. And that's what he's talking about here. If there's anything in your life that is leading you away from Christ and away from obedience and away from purity, pluck it out. I was having had an opportunity to share with Alexis last night. I enjoyed it so much and be able to share with her that I want her to be a, a woman of uh, 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 virtue, a woman of virtue and a woman of vitality and a woman of vision and a woman of victory. But when I talked about a woman of virtue, I said that means living a life that is clean, a life that is pure, a life that is focused on God. So I'm not going to preach the whole sermon to you again this morning, but everybody needs that. That's what God wants for all of us to live a life of virtue, radical purity. And then the last thing he says, uh, and this is, this is, you're going to have a lot of difficulty understanding these verses here. Salt is good. Well, that just talks about where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Talking about hell. And someday I want to preach a sermon just on hell. You don't hear much about hell today. It's almost been overruled as uh, cruel and unusual punishment. But I want to tell you, it's real. And the person in the Bible that talked more about hell than anybody else was the loving Jesus. And Jesus came to this earth, suffered shame and pain and horrible death on a cross so that you would not have to go to hell and he said it is a place where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched somebody said to me one time well I don't believe y'all try to scare people into salvation well friend I tell you what you ought to be scared if you're not a Christian it's a scary thing it is a fearful thing the Bible says to fall into the hands of the living God if you're not a Christian it's a wonderful thing to be in the hands of the living God when you know Jesus. But it's a scary thing to fall into his hands if you don't know him because hell is a real place and it's a permanent place and it's a terrible place. And he says this is a place that it is so terrible that you're better off to cut off a hand or a foot or gouge out an eye than to go to hell where the fire never is quenched. Then the next verse says, Salt, everyone will be salted with fire, and then salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Now, what does all that mean? That's kind of a salt... Is good. What, what's this deal about salt? 
If you go back into the Old Testament to Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13, it says, Every sacrifice, every offering shall be seasoned with salt. You shall season all your offerings with salt. And you shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offerings. And with all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Now, what? Salt, what is salt? Well, salt uh, seasons. Salt preserves. I don't know about you, but when I grew up on the farm, we'd kill our pigs and, and we would salt that meat down. And it would last. It would last all year. It'd last longer than a year because it had been preserved with salt. Any of you ever do that? Any of you ever salt your meat down? Okay. Well, and then salt flavors. Salt uh, adds taste. Salt also makes thirsty, doesn't it? Salt does a lot of things. But he says salt in the Old Testament was a sign of the covenant. It was, a, it was an indication. It's called the salt of the covenant. And it was a way of, of saying with every offering, I am offering this because God has made a covenant with me. I'm his. I belong to him. And what offerings are we to give today as Christians? Well, the Bible says in Romans 12, 1, that we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. So that means the salt is our, our indication of, that we belong to him. And we're to show that. We're to demonstrate that. And that's why he says there in the last verse that we just read, have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Have salt. We ought to all be a bunch of salty saints. We ought to all be salty. And that means that everything in our life ought to demonstrate our covenant relationship with Jesus. The way we treat other people the way we behave, the way we act, the things we watch, the words we say, everything we do, our whole body, everything in our life ought to be salty with the salt of the covenant. That's just a way of saying we ought to be, it's like Jesus is the salt and everything we do should just ooze Jesus out of our life. And when, uh, when somebody insults us or hurts us, what do we do? Well, if we do what's normal, what's part of the flesh, we'll just come right back at them. But if we say, no, I want Jesus to respond to this, then he'll respond with grace and with love and with kindness. So uh, the result of us all having salt is we'll be at peace with one another because uh only by pride cometh contention, the Bible says. And salt has a way of getting out the impurity of pride and selfishness and arrogance and those kinds of things. So uh, it's radical, radical sacrifice, radical obedience, radical love and radical purity. But that's what God wants from our life. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for your call on our life. Lord, it's uh, so easy for us today in a comfortable Christian 
culture like we live in, to just be satisfied with just external observances, coming to church and doing nice things. But I know you want much, much more than that. You want radical obedience. You want us to be radical Christians. And you want us to uh, have radical purity and radical faith, radical obedience, radical love. Set us apart. Help us be different. And I know that there are people out in the world that are looking at our lives. And they need to see Jesus. They need to hear Jesus. They need to sense the salt that is in our life. Help us to be salty Christians. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.